0: From St. Louis Public Radio this is St. Louis on the air people who were in the city at that time remember that you would paint no FD on on some buildings you know, people you know, thought this made the, the neighborhood look nice it as made good. the
1: neighborhood look a little you know downtrodden, if you will, and it it, it wasn't a good look for the city, which I can understand that. Absentee landlord
2: is the biggest uh, problem for St. Louis uh, properties.
1: Now with the ability to put all this information into a database and have it readily available for the responding companies to actually, before they get there, they can see that it says FD no entry. You walk around Sular now and it's it's beautiful. Yeah. So, and. What would it look like if we would have torn all those down?
0: Yeah. So this needs to be a house-by-house question, a block-by-block question.
1: Absolutely. I'm looking at it from a house-by-house, block-by-block for the safety benefit of the firefighters.
0: I'm Sarah Fenske. On Monday, the St. Louis Fire Department responded to a call near Fairground Park. A vacant home was on fire. Captain Garen Mosby provided narration on Twitter.
1: St. Louis Fire Department operating at a first alarm. 3,000 block of Lee vacant, three-story brick. Heavy fire on the third floor extending to the roof. Companies are setting up for defensive operations. Battalion 1 has command.
0: Now that burning building was nothing new for St. Louis firefighters. The department estimates that 40 percent of its calls for service involve vacant buildings. The city has more than 10,000 of them and in light of the tragic death of firefighter Ben Polson in a vacant last month it's now made assessing those buildings a major focus and St. Louis Fire Chief Dennis Jenkerson is here to tell us more. Chief Jenkerson welcome back.
1: Good afternoon.
0: So first of all we're talking about all of this today because of what happened in in January, and we are very sorry for your loss. I know that's just been so hard for the whole department.
1: It has. It's been a a very tough couple of weeks. Yeah.
0: So you're, you're mourning the loss of Firefighter Polson, but you guys aren't just sort of pausing here. You're also renewing this pretty major initiative.
1: You know, it's it, it just reemphasizing uh, the dangers that are, well, one, inherent to, this, to the job of a firefighter, and two, uh, the, the inherent dangers of, of the buildings that are vacant or, are unoccupied or abandoned within the city. And there's, you know, to say that a building is vacant, that's a tough call to make because you don't know we have a, a fairly uh, large unhoused or homeless population. So when the weather gets cold, we know they're inside these buildings trying to stay warm. Uh, these abandoned or vacant buildings uh, they don't have electricity they don't have gas so the fires aren't going to start on their own something has to start them and most of the time it is a a homeless individual trying to stay warm trying to cook some food and that's how the issues start.
0: And so you can't just say okay you know this looks like a vacant building let's just let it burn let's keep our guys safe.
1: Right that's a tough call to make Um, Normally, when we get on the scene, there's there's somebody outside or a neighbor or somebody who lives close by who makes a statement that, you know, I know the homeless have been getting into that building. Quite a few of them are are boarded up by the city, mm-hmm. so they find a way that's uh, to get into the building that's fairly inconspicuous, mm-hmm. get in and you know seek shelter. So, and there's somebody outside who's telling us I've seen an individual come in there. So, we try and take a look if we're able to and. Uh, unfortunately a couple of weeks ago that that look was uh fatal and caused us some severe issues and a lot of pain.
0: So Ben Paulson, he was in that building trying to make sure that, that everybody had gotten out. That's what he was doing when that roof collapsed.
1: Right. That's we do it every day. Yeah. You know, it, it it's just he was in the wrong spot at the wrong time when the roof came down. There there was multiple firefighters in that building when it came down and unfortunately, you know, he got caught. Um but we're trying to start an initiative to where we provide a little as much information as we can to the firefighters on the scene the first arriving firefighters the captains the battalion chiefs to inform them of what we think the condition of these buildings are you know and, and you know you take a walk around the city in some of the areas where we have the abandoned buildings and they're missing walls they're missing you know a lot of the uh, special brickwork has been scavenged by thieves you know Mm -hmm. the inside is you know they're missing piping and different things and so we're going to try and provide a database if you will and we have the ability because all the new fire trucks everybody has a computer on it so we'll be able to put that into a database and give them a heads up after we rate these buildings and say hey this you know you can take a look but you're not going to spend much time inside this building fighting this fire this is a quick look and we're staying outside and fighting it.
0: So I understand there was somewhat of a similar initiative going back 20 years ago. At that point, people who were in the city at that time remember that you would paint no FD on, on some buildings, saying this one is like past the point of redemption. First of all, what happened to that effort?
1: Well, there was a little bit of pushback from various organizations regarding whether or not... Uh, first off, uh, the fire department got accused of... Uh, Putting graffiti on the buildings, you know, so that that became an issue. And, and people know, thought I,
0: this made the, the neighborhood look not. It as made good. the
1: neighborhood look a little, you know, downtrodden, if you will, and it, it it wasn't a good look for the city, which I can understand that, you know. And now with the ability to put all this information into a database and have it readily available for the responding companies to actually, before they get there, they can see that it says FD no entry, yeah, based on our our rate our grading or ratings of the building. It, it it's. It's going to be an addition to all the safety uh, factors and all the training and experience that they follow now. So it, it'll just be another heads up.
0: Seems like a better place to put it inside a database versus you know smeared on. Not that you smeared, but painted on the walls it, there.
1: It will be. You know, th- the other part of this is you know we could put these markings on a building during the day, but at night. When you, you know, yeah. it's dark, you got heavy smoke or fire coming out of a building, those visuals might be overlooked. So this way, on the way to the fire, they'll have that visual in front of them on a computer screen, and they'll be able to make a determination, hey, pay attention on this one we've got a, you know, a one or two, however we decide to grade them, and we're still working on that. You know, This is a no-entry building, so take a quick look, mm-hmm. but we're not going in.
0: Okay, that totally makes sense. So you said you haven't quite figured out what kind of rating system you want to use at this point. It sounds like you're looking for something more complex than just a thumbs up or a thumbs down.
1: We absolutely are. We're looking at, you know, are there visual indicators or foundational or structural indicators that immediately are going to tell us not going to happen. We, you're not going in this building. Yeah. You know, and, and as you walk down a block where we had some vacant buildings, you can see where the, the chimneys are leaning, the mortar's coming out of the bricks, the lintels are missing out of the windows, you know, walls are leaning, or they're completely missing walls, you know. You can look through the, a first or second story window and see that there's no roof or no floor in there. So we're going to come up, we've already pretty much established what we're going to look for first. That's going to make it an automatically no-go building. So, and then we'll determine how, you know, how, we'll, whether we're going to rank these low, moderate, or high risk, whether we're going to color code them red, yellow, green. I don't know what the best, best way to do it. And we'll, through a committee, if you will, we'll decide on what we're going to call them. So.
0: A committee of firefighters will we'll do this. Uh, yes. so, so are your guys going to be doing this then between calls? I mean, they're they're pretty busy.
1: They're very busy. It's going to be a tough it's going to be a tough job. Um, we'll, we'll get the different divisions of the fire department involved, whether it's the fire marshal's office, the, the, co- the companies on the street. Um, I would say that quite a few of the, uh, almost all of the companies, know where the bad buildings are. So we'll start off trying to catalog the worst ones. And that get makes
0: sense. I mean, you guys are in specific neighborhoods every day. <clears throat>
1: yeah, we check the buildings. Every, I mean, we check our neighborhoods every day. They, you'll see a fire truck driving around, and you might just think they're out for a leisurely drive, but they're looking at the buildings. They're looking at, you know, the lots. They're looking at where hydrants are located. They're looking at uh, any obstructions that might cause them an issue if they have a fire in a building. So it, it's it's an ongoing pre-plan, if you will, that's done every day in the St. Louis Fire Department.
0: So this will just be a way to take that knowledge, get it out of their heads, and put it in more of like a formal <clears throat> database type situation where just anybody can pull this up within your department.
1: Right. We've been working on our uh, Our CAD, our computer-aided dispatching, our systems on the fire department for about four and a half years. It's taken a lot of uh, money to upgrade our servers, which gives our trucks the abilities to pull information as we need them. We'll be able to pull pre-plans, mapping, uh, different infrastructure within the areas that we need to look at, whether it's gas pipe, electrical lines, you know, so it, there's a whole lot going into it, and, mm-hmm. and it takes a while to build this database. It's just not a matter you, you don't pull it off the shelf at a library and give me your library card and check it out. No, it's, we've been doing it for a while, so we're, we're getting close to being complete, and this would be an, just another layer that we add to this database.
0: So that makes a lot of sense. So when it comes to vacant homes in the city, there's kind of two issues here. There's about 10,000 in total, although who really knows for sure, as you say. Like sometimes these things can be – it's kind of hard to tell what's going on with some of them. So more than 3,000 of these are owned by the city itself, the Land Reutilization Authority, also known as the LRA. A whole bunch more are owned by private landlords. Let's talk about the ones owned by the city here for a minute. Has the LRA – do they have some sort of assessment system of their own where you could tap into work they've already done?
1: You know, there's, there's a very wide network of information, you know, between the, the LRA, the building department, uh, the assessor's office, the tax collector's office, you know, so
0: everybody's taking notes, but yeah, there may be all kind of, of separate. Of yeah. so when I'm
1: t- I need to take all that and kind of put it together and, uh, look at how we can maybe rank a building based on the different information that's out there. You know, whether we use an algorithm to put this into place, and we're looking at it. Are you know, those
0: other departments being forthcoming with information Absolutely. Okay. Well,
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, because they don't want to, I mean, not only is it dangerous to firefighters, it's also dangerous to the people who live in that neighborhood, the kids who are playing around there, the people – you know, it. it yeah. if we can get rid of some of these, it's, I'm sure it's going to reduce some of the crime rate. You know, it's it just it, – you want a neighborhood to look good so that people want to live there. So people, you know, it, 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 it makes sense. Mm-hmm.
0: So the 3,000 or so that are owned by the city's LRA, um, during the cruisen administration, they really dramatically escalated the number of teardowns that were happening. Uh, that was up to 657 publicly funded demolitions in 2019. There were another 452 in 2020. Would you like to see this remain a focus, that this is something Mayor John Could keep up those numbers that Mayor Krusen had been doing.
1: You know, I think you have to keep it up. You know, because it improves the quality of the neighborhoods. And one, two, it's going to improve the. The safety factor of the firefighters and the people who work around these buildings, so it, it it's it has to be it has to be continued. I understand that there are some buildings that should not be torn down. You know, you look at the the Renaissance that happened in the Soulard area about 25 30 years ago, and they had buildings similar, and quite a few of those buildings were saved, and it, it's it's a vibrant neighborhood now. So yeah, I, I understand the balance there between getting rid of the ones that can't be saved and the ones that Should be saved.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's such a balancing act. Um, You know, there's now this Prop NS where there's like a small pool of public funding that people can use to fix up some of these ones that are not past the point of, of redemption. So when I hear people say we need to tear them all down. I'm saying I don't know that that would necessarily be the solution that would have saved Ben Paulson's life like you know there's so many of them we can't even tear them down fast enough if that's our only plan
1: right I, I think you have to give people the opportunity to look at the investment that they have to make and and move forward with, with that investment and save these buildings because you look at some of these two and a half and three story buildings up in the area they're absolutely beautiful the constructions on them the the architecture they're they're st Louis they're part of it and like I said before, I compared it to Soulard, and you walk around Soulard now, and it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. So, and what would it look like if we would have torn all those down? So I understand the balance, but I also understand if you've got you know, one remaining or two remaining vacant houses on the block, is it worth saving? Yeah. I question that.
0: Yeah. So this needs to be a house-by-house house question, a block-by-block block question.
1: Absolutely. I'm looking at it from a house-by-house, block-by-block for the safety benefit of the firefighters.
0: We're talking today to St. Louis Fire Chief Dennis Jenkerson, discussing the effort that's now underway to uh, uh, sort of add assessments of these vacant buildings to an ongoing database that the department has been working really hard on. This has been going on for four and a half years. Does this also tie into the efforts to get you guys on the same dispatch system as, as the police department, all that whole issue?
1: You know, it, it it's a it's a big part of it. You know, the a PSAP center, a public safety answering point, which has been needed in the city of St. Louis for a long time, mm-hmm. you know, where all the all the information comes into one center and then is put back out. So, no, it, it's, it integrates well with the new concept.
0: That's great. So this work is ongoing. What's your sort of best case scenario here of when you'll be able to say, yep, we've got a handle on what's going on with the vacants across the city? Do you see this as a five-year plan, a, 10-year plan?
1: <laughs> you know, I, I see it as an ongoing plan, yeah. you know, so it's, it, this database is going to have to be updated quite a bit, whether a vacant home has been taken over and renovated and needs to come off the list, or we have one that's, you know, has been neglected for many years and we had a rainstorm come through and all of a sudden the, the roof is gone. So it's it, it's going to be an ongoing system that uh, needs to be updated, not only by the fire department, but the other departments in the city, as they see these issues pop up in these vacant buildings, they, that information needs to be sh- be shared as soon as it can so that we can prevent injuries or deaths in these homes.
0: Do you feel that urgency from other departments that, you know, building officials understand this all ties into what you guys have to deal with? And, and other departments understand that as well.
1: I absolutely do. Um, just the other day, the building department gave a permit to an individual who uh, owned three properties south mm-hmm. Um, that he had been trying to take down for a while, and they were kind of holding it up because of the preservation aspect of it, and they finally said, that's it. Give them the demo permit. We're going to take them down. So, no, I absolutely see the cooperation.
0: So, this has been, as as we started out by talking about, this has been a tough time for your department, just dealing with the death of, of Ben Polson. Is this something where, um, you know, grief counseling, things like that, have have been offered to the guys?
1: Yeah, we've had a couple sessions already. Uh, we actually de- uh, work with a company, an organization that provides grief counseling, if you will. And we, the first time we did it, we did it as a, a larger group, and then we kind of broke them down, and it, it will continue. And this organization's been around almost 30 years. In fact, I was part of the organization's 30, 25 years ago, so it's a good group, and we use them quite a bit. The uh, fire departments across the region use the same group a lot.
0: So we all think of, of firefighters as you know you guys are just guys who get stuff done. We don't necessarily always think about the emotional side of this job or you know that, that need to sort of take care of mental health, things like that. Do you think uh, are firefighters on board for these kind of sessions? They're coming in knowing this is something that helps.
1: That's a tough question. you know firefighters are some pretty uh, tough, if you will, and uh, stonewalled of opinion, but um, they don't all want to move into the the debriefing, if you will,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I'm pretty rock-headed as well, so they all come to the meeting. There is no, this is This is
0: not optional.
1: No, no, this is mandatory. They all show up, and, you know, we break it down, and we assess the levels of, you know, how they're feeling, what's going on, and make some uh, decisions on who's going to keep coming, and how we're going to split the group up, but it, it's, I think it, it helps the fire department as a whole to know that, you know, nobody's left untouched in this matter.
0: Yeah, I also wonder about you as the chief. Like when you're in charge, you just you can't help but but feel anxious for your guys who are out there. And something like this is just kind of a jolt to the system. I mean, do you find yourself in now as like you know days have turned into weeks that you're still kind of white knuckling it? Like you want to make sure everybody's getting home.
1: You know, that that's another brutal question. Um, when you talk about days turning into weeks, it's it, it's almost the opposite. It's just it's like it's just one long event one long day it just keeps things keep getting added to it as yeah. you know i'm out and about in the community people unfortunately recognize me and they all want to talk about what went on so yeah it, it just yeah it's, it's it's tough
0: we're just constantly making you relive this and, and yep. here we are again today
1: that's exactly right
0: well, we do have a question related more to uh, to buildings. Um, Madonna from Crestwood sent us an email. Doesn't the city's building inspector have a complete list of derelict and unsafe buildings? Why duplicate their work? Well,
1: we're not duplicating the work, and they do have a pretty good list because that's part of the database we've, that we've gotten. But we look at the buildings a little bit differently. You know, they're going to look at it from the building department perspective. We're looking at it from a perspective of is there somebody in there? The building's on fire. Do we have the ability to go in and make a grab? You know, is the building safe enough safe enough for us to do that? So there's there's a different way of looking at this building from the fire department view as opposed to a building view. You know, if, if, if something collapses in your building and uh, the building department comes out and says, we're going to condemn this building until it's fixed, if somebody's still in there, we're going in to try and get them out.
0: Mm-hmm. So... It's a different equation.
1: Total different equation, total different objective of what we do and what an engineer or a building inspector will do. So it, it's, we have to look at it from the eyes of a firefighter, the eyes of a, of, of a fire company, the eyes of a district, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm going to go to the phone lines here. We have a question, and I don't think it's a question for you, Chief Jenkerson, but I think it's a question that's maybe worth the city thinking about. So I'm going to get it here into the public discourse. Uh, this is Mark calling from St. Louis. Mark, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air.
2: Hi, thank you for taking my call.
0: Yeah, I'm curious to hear, um, you have a thought about what the city could or should be doing related to these vacants?
2: Well, I know there are others, other municipalities that whenever a ba- a ba- um, whenever a building is vacant, the owner of it, if they haven't made an occupant, uh, put an occupant in there or done something with the building within a certain length of time, they're fine. Yeah. Um, I think this would be not only a way for us eliminating some of these vacant properties, but also bringing up having a revenue stream for the city, which right now is quite desperate for for um, cash.
0: Yeah, but, you know, Mark, sometimes the problem is getting people to pay. When you have an absentee landlord, you can certainly slap them with, with fees and they don't necessarily always promptly pay that bill. But it sounds like you would like to see some efforts to hold people accountable. If, if they're being a derelict or absentee landlord, this is something where there should be a penalty.
2: Well, having worked in a neighborhood that uh, we brought back from uh, the edge, mm-hmm. I know that absentee landlords, is the biggest uh, problem for St. Louis uh, properties. Not only for having vacant properties, but having properties that are totally um, below living standards for anyone, and yet they still are allowed to continue to keep renting them. And if they are brought into court, it's a slap on the wrist, and, um, and, and it takes a very, very long time to even make that process begin.
0: Yeah, Mark, I, I think you make some good points there. I certainly hear this in my own neighborhood, Lafayette Square. This is one of these neighborhoods that has battled back from the brink. It's doing great today. Mm-hmm. Even so, you have a couple people just, you know, they're sitting on these buildings. They're not doing anything to keep them maintained. It's a problem for the neighborhood. It's something I guess we all need to be thinking of, of solutions for, ways to pay attention to it.
1: Yeah, it, it's that's all over the United States. You know, you know, you looked at what happened in Baltimore. You look what happened in New York with all the dust up there. And it, it's, yes, there's living conditions that people shouldn't be living in and you know just finding your way out of it might not be the best idea but you know we have to make the area safe for the people who live in the apartments for the children the adults who live there and you know there's overcrowding or it's just you know when you start finding people and st louis has fines they have ordinances that that do all of those things that you suggested but then you have to try and collect it so yeah. but it, it's that's That's not my side of the story. My side of the story is making sure that I have a good rating on the buildings quickly and the fire department, as they're coming into a scene, know about it.
0: Yeah. Well, Mark, I want to thank you for that that question and that idea. I do think this is such an important topic. And, and as you say, uh, Chief Jankerson, your piece is one piece of this much bigger puzzle. Um, but it's good to see that this effort you guys are doing, it feels like this is really going to bear fruit down the road. Uh, we're going to keep working on it. We're not going to give up. Well, St. Louis Fire Chief Dennis Jankerson, thank you so much for joining us today. This episode was produced by Alex Hoyer, with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here.